as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. May God bless to us this reading from his holy word. Many of you have been to uh, our home over the years, uh, well, Karen and my house, and uh, some of you have had a meal there, others have had meetings with us there. And so the great thing about that is you get to see us together kind of, you know, in, in our native environment. And, uh, and so if you've ever had a meal with us there, um, you, you've encountered our marriage. Now, you've experienced our marriage here on, on Sundays uh, as, we, as we come and go, uh, even though most of the time on a Sunday morning we're not together, we don't sit together, uh, we don't hang together, uh, we don't spend time together. Uh, sometimes we, we remark at the end of the day, wow, it's nice to see you, you know, even though we've been together all the time. But you encounter that, you encounter that relationship. But I don't think anybody believes that when you encounter that relationship, you are encountering the fullness of our marriage. When you come and you sit down at a table with us, it is our marriage, but it's more than, our marriage is more than a meal. If you sit out in our back garden, you know, you are in, in spending time with us as a married couple, but you understand you've not experienced the fullness of us as a married couple. In fact, it's almost impossible for you to do that unless you're actually married to us. And thankfully, you know, it's just two of us in this marriage. Uh, and it, that's kind of how things work. And it's easy. You could come to our house and you could have a meal with us at our table. And maybe it's one of those off days when Karen doesn't cook well. Or maybe it's one of those off days when Karen says, Rod, I don't feel like cooking today. Maybe you should cook. You know, and so the meal that you experience around our table, maybe it doesn't taste so good. Maybe it's not exactly the food that you like. You know, maybe you grew up loving rice and, and I grew up loving potatoes. And so that day we have potatoes instead of rice and you don't like potatoes. 
Uh, you know, so you experience uh, my favorite potatoes, which are not really your favorite potatoes, and, and so you think, well, okay, this meal was okay, but, uh, you know, it wasn't the greatest. Or maybe uh, we're doing, you know, some Mexican-style uh, food, which is some of our favorite, uh, and you say, well, you know, I'm more of an Italian-style person myself, or I don't like spicy food, yet this is spicy. And it would be very easy for you to make an evaluation of our marriage based on the meal. But would that be an accurate evaluation of our marriage? Would coming to our house on one occasion, having one bad meal, mean that our marriage was bad? Would it mean that we have serious problems in our relationship? Would it mean that we need to go to marriage counseling because we had a bad meal together? Or what would happen if one day you'd encounter us and, and, and I was a little grumpy? You know, I get grumpy every now and then. I know you guys don't, but I do. And so maybe I was a little grumpy that day, and you, you experienced me and my grumpiness. Would you say, well, okay, that marriage, there's something wrong in that marriage because, you know, Rod's a bit grumpy today. No, you wouldn't do any of this, would you? In fact, none of us would make that kind of evaluation. Yet, all the time, people do that regarding church. We had a, a, a day, one-day event yesterday called Christians Against Crime, uh, and one of the speakers, a guy named Sheldon Thomas, brilliant message. I mean, it really, really was good. Eventually, it will go up online. It's very worthwhile seeing. Uh, Sheldon Thomas had been involved in gangs when he was growing up. Uh, his family is from Jamaica. Uh, he was here in London. He'd been heavily involved in gangs in London, and so he was talking about gangs, <coughs> excuse me, talking about changes in the world, talking about how to, the changes in the nature of gangs, talking about how to deal with gangs uh, and these kinds of things. And, and for most of the talk, it was absolutely brilliant. Uh, in fact, all the way to the end, it was absolutely brilliant. And then somebody in the Q&A time asked him a question about what should we do? And uh, he said, well, you know, one of the things we could do is close the church for three years and have the men raise up men, you know, spend their time raising up, spending time with young men and, and stuff and raising them up. And that kind of attitude just showed a complete misunderstanding of what the church is. Now, here's a Christian. This guy's been walking with Jesus for a long time. But his solution to the problems are for churches not to meet anymore for churches to cease to function, for churches to come together. It's as if he's had a meal at some churches and has not really understood the fullness of what God is doing in the life of the church. Now we know there are many churches that have failed in many different ways, just as many times, you know, I might, if you put me to cook, I might fail in the meals. But there are no real easy answers, there's no simple solutions uh, to the challenges that churches face, but I tell you one of the most uh, important foundations for any kind of, of solution for the church, any kind of hope for the church to rise up into the fullness of its calling and destiny is for the church to finally understand who it really is and that we are more than these Sunday gatherings. We're more than the meals we have together. We're more than our fellowship. We're more than our Bible studies. In fact, all of those things are nothing more than an outworking of who we really are in Jesus Christ. 
And we need to understand this and embrace this and understand that every Christian is a part of this greater reality that's called the church. And so we need to really see who we really are in Christ Jesus. And this passage is such a great passage. It's so rich on this. Uh, uh, and, and Peter is talking here uh, to Christians who are dispersed throughout the empire, many of whom had suffered some kind of persecution. Uh, they were having challenges to their faith. Many of them wanted to quit. They wanted to back down. Uh, but Peter's encouraging them. He's telling them to, to keep going. And he says, as you come to him, Jesus, the living stone. And one of the parts we often miss in this is this idea of coming to Jesus. It's not the idea of, I come to Jesus once, and I'm with Jesus. The, the idea here is that as I come, and as I keep coming to Jesus. The reality here is, if you really are a Christian, this reality will be true for you. If you've really come to Jesus, and you continue to follow Jesus as your Savior, as your Lord, this reality will be continually true for you. It's not a one-off reality uh, Peter is talking about here. He's talking about a continual reality. And it's important we understand this. So as you come to him, the living stone, that's Jesus Christ, rejected by, by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. He's saying that the foundation, as we've seen, we've looked at this in the other, in the other uh, couple of last, last sermons, the foundation of this reality is Jesus. It's who Jesus is. It's the fact that Jesus is the King. Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is our Savior. Jesus is the foundation. Jesus is the one uh, around whom we gather. Jesus is our cornerstone, Peter would go on to say here. Uh, and the cornerstone is the key piece of a building. It's the key foundation piece. Without a cornerstone, a building cannot stand. Without Jesus as our cornerstone, we cannot even exist as the church. Nothing happens. Jesus is our foundation, our cornerstone. So as you come to him and keep on coming to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up. As we come to Jesus, Jesus is building us up. And he's building us up like living stones. That means some of us are really hard-headed. Hopefully none of us are hard-hearted. No, but we come as living stones. So we're alive. There's, there's nothing static here. This is not a one-off thing. It's not something that happens. We're put in place, and then we're there, like, a, like one of the bricks in St. Paul's Cathedral. It's not like we were put in place in the 1600s, and now we're still in place uh, 500 years later. It's not that kind of reality. We're alive. We're, sh we're, we're shifting. We're moving. We're being transformed. We're being changed individually like living stones. And this word stone here refers to all kinds of stones. It's not just bricks. It's not like uh, uh, cinder block stones that are put in place and very easily set in place together. This refers to a diversity of stones. Some of us are like diamonds. 
Some of us are like gold. Maybe some of us are like lead. Uh, some of us uh, are harder than others. We might be granite or we might be limestone. We're all in, in all kinds of diverse shapes and sizes is the point here. We're alive and we're diverse. We're alive and we're diverse and we are being built together by Jesus. So what Jesus is doing as we are coming to him, as we are following him, as we are living our lives, he is building us together. You are not a Christian unless you're a Christian together with other Christians. There's no sense of a Christian apart having any part in the building that's God's house. We are always built together. And it's interesting that God, uh, that Jesus needs to shape us, he needs to mold us, so we fit together. That means he, got, he has to chop off some of our rough edges. Now, a lot of times people think, oh, in the church we need to all get along. But you know, the people who have chopped off my rough edges are been, have been largely the people that I haven't gotten along with. The people I get along with, they just kind of smooth it over a little bit and I, and I feel good about that. But sometimes God needs to chop off some of the rough edges of my life, some of the sin issues or the personality issues that don't please him. And oftentimes it's through you know, some, some real hard work that that happens. So if you're around somebody who annoys you, just thank God for them because they are God's instrument in your life to shape you and mold you so you fit. So you come to your place in the reality that is God's house. So we are being built together like living stones. And Jesus uses mortar, which I think is love, to place us together, to seal us together, to combine us together. He uses that love and builds us together into this reality that he says is a spiritual house being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood so we are becoming god's house the spiritual house is not something we're looking at physically it's not a church building it is a spiritual reality that we can only see with spiritual eyes that have been opened to see we can only see this with spiritual eyes that we open to see if we look around us, we, we say, well, there's not a whole lot of stones here, but actually there are a lot of stones here. There's more than we know, there's more than we see, and God is building us together, not only with one another, but with his people all around the world. And so we're being built together as a spiritual house to be a priesthood, to be a holy priesthood. That means we represent God to the world and we represent the world to God. That's our role as a priesthood, and we'll come back to that in a moment. To be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God that can only come through Jesus Christ. So we exist, Jesus is building us together as a spiritual house so that we can be a holy priesthood so that together we offer these spiritual sacrifices. What are they? Thanksgiving, their praise, their serving others, loving others. These are all things when we do this and we do it as unto the Lord, it becomes a spiritual sacrifice that we offer to God, but we have to offer it through Jesus Christ. We don't offer it on our own. We offer it because Jesus Christ has died for us 
and risen from the dead. And this is what Jesus is doing. He is building us. He is shaping us. He is forming us. He is putting us together. He is assigning our places, assigning our roles. And and that's not a static thing. That's something that shifts and grows. And so as we grow in our role, as we grow in what we are are doing and called to do, then our role can expand. Uh, we We can move places in the spiritual house. It's not like he's just put us together and we're once we're replaced, we're always there. He's moving us about because this is a living reality. And this is the church. And what we see here with our eyes is not the fullness of this reality. It's just a little glimpse of it. It's just a little taste of it. And sometimes, oh, well, all the time, it's an imperfect representation of it. But we must not lose sight of it. Because if we lose sight of it, we run the risk of thinking that, oh, well, we can just shut this all down and not do anything for the next few years and nothing changes. We need to understand that what we're part of is much more important than we realize. And what we're part of is built on Jesus Christ. That's the point of the next few verses. I won't focus on those here in this context. But to understand that Jesus, who was rejected by the Jews, has become the cornerstone. He's become the foundation. He is the one on whom we are built. And he is the one uh, into whose likeness we are transformed. This is our reality. And Peter goes on to explain it in a different way. He says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. And we need to understand what each one of those are. We are a chosen race. Now, the idea of race is not the idea we think of in terms of skin color and the like. The idea of race here is the idea of family. And so a race, if you talk about the Jewish race, for example, you're talking about the full heritage of the Jews. So starting from Abraham on down, uh, all of those who were born into it, all of those who came into it, all of those who were adopted into it. In other words, the, the race here is like a big extended family. And we are chosen to be part of this big extended family. The people who have gone before us have been our, our grandparents, our, our granduncles and grandaunts, and, uh, and the people who are with us now are our brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, and the people who will come after us will be our sons and daughters in Christ Jesus. And we all get to be part of this chosen race by being chosen, by being adopted into God's family. You were chosen, you were adopted, you were incorporated into this family. Once I became part of this family, this family is my primary reality. It's my primary family. I am closer to my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ sometimes than I am to my actual sister. And we think, well, maybe that's not the way it should be. Actually, that's the way God designed it to be. 
God has designed this so that we grow closer to one another than even the members of our immediate biological family. And we're all adopted into it with all of our diversity. God has intentionally chosen us to be part of this. Then Peter says that we are a royal priesthood. We are a royal priesthood. Now we've already talked about the priesthood. What did the priest do? The priest represented the people to God and represented God to the people. And we are a priesthood who have been designed by God to come to God on behalf of the world, doing what we just did, praying for our nation, praying for uh, Korea. We've come to God on behalf of the world, but then also we go to the world on behalf of God. Our calling is to represent God to the world. And this idea of royal means that we're part of God's family. Now we understand this in this country. And we see this with, uh, with William and Catherine and, uh, and with the whole royal family. You know, they'll travel around places. And the queen doesn't travel as much as she used to, right? What does she do? She sends her grandsons. Uh, she sends others to go out. And they go out and they're part of royalty, and they represent the royal family. So they know, even if it's not the queen who is there, they have been visited by royalty. This is our reality. We are all royalty because we are sons of the Most High God, and we are brothers of King Jesus. Now, once uh, William ascends to the throne... As we pray, one day he does. You know, his brother will go out and will represent him as royalty. And that's what we do. Every single one of us. When you go to work tomorrow, you go as royalty. You're a king, you're a queen, you're a prince, you're a princess. You go as royalty. When you're on the bus, you're on the bus as royalty. Now, now don't you know, don't walk up to the bus driver and say, I'm sorry, I don't need an Oyster card. I'm a king. Uh, that probably won't work too well. Uh, but we are still royalty. And everywhere you go, you go representing our King Jesus. And you can take the concerns of everyone you meet to Jesus knowing that he hears us. We're a royal priesthood. We're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Now the word here, nation, is the word where we get ethnic. You know, sometimes when we're talking about race, we're actually talking about ethnic. And what Peter is saying here is that as we come to Jesus, now remember, this is the process as we come, as we continue to come to Jesus, we are as living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. This is an ongoing process. It's an ongoing reality in our lives. As this happens, we become a holy nation. In other words, as Christians, we are a new ethnicity. We are a new ethnicity. 
And our new ethnicity is our primary ethnicity. For too long, we've started to think of ourselves as black Christians or white Christians or Hispanic Christians or Asian Christians, uh, whatever, you know, Latino Christians, whatever word you use to describe that. And actually, that's not, I mean, it's handy for the world, but it's not really accurate. When I became a Christian, my primary ethnicity ceased to be white American. My primary ethnicity became kingdom of God. I became a kingdom ethnos, a God ethnos. The word that Peter uses here is holy. And this word holy means something that is set apart in a special way for a special purpose. So the moment I became a Christian and as I continue to come to Jesus as a Christian, as I'm continually built into this spiritual house, I am continually becoming and have already become this holy ethnos and we have this together. So I am, uh, this means myself and say Kup, my son in the Lord, we are ethnically the same. Even though our skin color might be different, even though the place where we were born on the planet might be on the opposite sides of the planet, according to God, our greater reality is our similar ethnicity. Olashina, he and I are ethnically the same in the Lord. That is our primary reality. Now, it won't change the fact that he's from Nigeria and Cook's from Burma. Uh, it won't change the fact of where you're from. It won't change, you know, that reality. It's not going to change the color of your skin. But what it does change is our loyalty, our allegiance, and our identity is fundamentally shifted away from that which we were brought up into. My reality, my identity is no longer fundamentally American. Okay, I'll always have the American accent. I probably won't ever lose that. Uh, I'll always have some American ideals and things like that. I hope I lose the bad ones and keep the good ones. Uh, and there's a lot of bad ones to lose. Uh, you know, but my reality in that way, I no longer consider myself an American. I consider myself an ethnic reality of the kingdom of God, part of that ethnic reality. And that is my primary reality. If, I, if, if the day came where I had to stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ or choose to stand with my country, you know where I'm standing? With my brothers and sisters in Christ. Even if I lost my country, even if I was rejected by the people around whom I grew up with, I stand with my brothers and sisters in Christ because that is my higher ethnic reality. That is my holy ethnicity. And I'm part of this holy nation. And we need to stand together in this reality because it's true of all of us. Now we'll all grow in that understanding, but that is what Peter is saying here. And then the last one. He says, and we're a people for God's own possession. A people for God's own possession. And I love this when you look at it and kind of understand it colloquially. 
one of the ways to say this is that we are God's gang. Now, gang culture is not necessarily something that we want to emulate, but that idea represents fairly accurately what Peter is saying here. We are God's tribe, as that word is used commonly today. We are the people with whom God likes to hang out. That's mind-blowing. Even in the midst of our sometimes boring services and stuff, you know what? God likes to hang out with us. And you know what? When you have real friends, you don't have to be doing something exciting to enjoy being with a friend, do you? You don't have to be, you know, going out. You might be watching television. You might be sitting and having a hot dog. You might be discussing life for the day. It doesn't matter. You might just be sitting quietly. Do you know when I knew that Karen was probably the person that I could marry? We were traveling to university together. Uh, We were applying to the same university, and we were traveling together, and she was driving Uh, because she drove this old car that had a a manual transmission that only she and Jesus could operate. Uh, It was really a a tough thing. So she was driving on this. Uh, This is the car who later the floorboards fell out of. So you could look down and you could see the road underneath. But that's another story entirely. Uh, We were driving together, and we drove for uh, a long time, maybe 30, 45 minutes, and we said nothing to each other. And it was comfortable. That was the day. That was the day. And that's what friends do. Do you know God likes to hang out with us? God likes it. I don't think God is all that bothered if our services are boring. I don't think God is all that bothered if the music is out of tune. God just likes to hang out. That's what Peter is saying. This is what we are as the church. We are a chosen family. We are a royal representative of the high king. We are a holy ethnicity. We are the people God likes to hang out with. And he's called us together so that we can declare the excellencies of him We can reflect those excellencies. We can tell people about how wonderful he is. The excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. As the Christians, it's time for us to realize who we really are. You know, I think about uh, little, is it George? William's son? I can never keep these names. You know, I can't even get my own name straight, let alone royalty kids. George, do you think he's conscious right now of who he really is? Probably not. He just knows mom and dad, right? The day will come when he will grow up in the consciousness of who he really is. But does that change who he is right now? Simply because he's not conscious of it, does it mean he's any less royal? Simply because he's not conscious of it, does that mean he's any less likely to inherit the throne of England? Absolutely not. And simply because the people of God are not really conscious of who we are as the people of God, does that make us any less the reality of who we are? It does not. We are 
something amazing, something marvelous, something special. We are God's people. We are the church. The church built on King Jesus. The church with King Jesus as our cornerstone. May we rise up into the fullness of that reality to the glory of Jesus. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you for making us who we are in Christ Jesus. Thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for making us a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy ethnicity, and the people you like to hang out with. We pray you'd come and hang out with us now as we worship you. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen.